All right, if you would stand to your feet, open your Bibles with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. And as you do that, our core kids are dismissed. We're continuing in our not optional series. Exodus chapter 20, and we are going to read from verse 4. When you got it, say so. so. And it says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above and that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the beauty of your presence and the reminder that you are God and you are God alone. We humble our hearts before you, for you are the God that overcame and we thank you because we know that you brought us here this morning to speak to us. And so, Lord, may you open our ears today that we would hear what you are saying to your church. And may we not just be hearers alone, but may we be doers of your word. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so typically I would tell you if you don't have an outline to raise your hand, unfortunately there was a... Well, I guess this is fortunate. There were a lot, a lot of people in the first service, so they took all the outlines. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. So if you don't have an outline, please share with somebody next to you. If you're married um, and you both have an outline, you know, just like hand it over. If you see someone that can use one next to you and just kind of take notes together, um, that's a good thing. But we want to make sure that you're able, if you do have an outline, you're able to follow along in the intro of the sermon. You can follow along in the beginning. You can also answer some questions that are throughout the outline. And then uh, for me, what a big thing for, for you to do is as a disciple of Jesus, you are a disciple of Christ. And for some some of you, you hear me say this week in and week out and probably hope that one week I'll stop saying it and I probably won't. And it's because you are called to make disciples. And you're not just called to learn God's word. You're called to share God's word. You're not just called to just know what God says, but you're called to help someone else grow in their faith. And so these outlines are a tool to help you to be able to share what you are learning in God's word with those who don't um, know Jesus or those who have a relationship with him but need to understand better. And so utilize these as a tool. You know, take some notes, answer the questions, sit down and share with them what you're learning on Sundays, and that will be helpful in making disciples. Also, for those of you that are following along in our Bible reading plan for 2018, we started in the beginning of the year reading one chapter in Psalms, one chapter in Proverbs, reading an Old Testament um, passage and a New Testament passage. So starting in Genesis, starting in Matthew, we're going to read one chapter a day as well. So today's the 28th. That would mean that you're at the end of the book of Matthew today. Tomorrow you'll start in Mark in the New Testament. And then in the Old Testament, you're in the um, Genesis 28 and you have a few more chapters to go. So you're going to continue on through that throughout the rest of the year. 
And when you finish Proverbs, which you'll finish in a couple of days, you're going to start over again. So every month you're going to read through the book of Proverbs. And when we finish the book of Psalms, you're going to start that over again as well. So that's the idea that I have for you. If you're on Realm, then you can jump on there. Um, it's a good place for you to be reminded of where we are in the Bible reading, ch- in the Bible reading plan, especially uh, for the next portion because it's not going to be as easy for the New Testament. So I encourage you to get on Realm if you're not. Make sure you download the app. One of the leaders can help you with that, and that way you can stay informed and you'll know what's going on in this area, um, not just of the Bible reading challenge, but all of the church. And so we are in our Not Optional series, and today we are going to be talking about idols. We're going to deal with idols. And I want you to look at this first line in this paragraph here, and I want you to realize what I'm saying. One of the greatest, most blatant sins of our day is that of idolatry. And that is not an overstatement. I'm not embellishing. I'm not, I'm not making this up. We live in a culture that is overwhelmed with idolatry. We live in a culture that we, that, that we, that we cater to the idols in people's hearts. We want everyone to feel comfortable. We want everyone to have it their way um, from fast food. You know, the book of Philippians says that their God is the God of their belly. Hello, somebody. Somebody communicated, a missionary communicated one time, they came to the United States of America, and they said, man, you guys, your, your, your God is really your belly. He's like, you drive down the roads, and what do you see? You see all kind of idols, from golden arches to the king to, you know, Sony, to, to all these different signs all over the place that are calling for your attention, your devotion, and for you to come, and, and it's, it's not like that in other places, right? And so what we see is that, and listen, I'm not telling you that restaurants are idols. My point is that there is a reality that we have. And, and the truth is that the church is, is, is known in our days for being consumeristic. We are about, consu- we're about consumption. When we come to church, we don't think about what we can give to God. We think about what we get from the service. What is there to serve us, to serve our needs? And if you go to a place and your needs are not met, you know what typically happens? You leave to find another place that fills those needs because we are consumers. And listen, the ultimate thing that we see here is in our capitalistic culture, consumerism is necessary to keep the economy going. Hello somebody. And so we want you to make more money. We want to give you bonuses. We want to do all kind of stuff like that. For what? So you can pay off your debt? No. So you can spend more money. That's the mindset, right? Because if you, listen, if every Christian, listen to what I'm going to say right now. If every Christian listened to the principles of Dave Ramsey, I think our economy would collapse. Hello. Because we wouldn't be buying anything. We wouldn't be spending any money. We wouldn't be doing anything except saving. And then, you know, we'd be a third world country. But the, the bottom line is that that's how we are. We are consumers at the core. And it's because we are idolaters. So look at the scripture here that I put there for you. And it is this in, first, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. The apostle Paul warns this young pastor of the days that were coming. And so look at what it says here. It says, but know this. And so this is a prophetic word coming from the Apostle Paul. He's giving Timothy an assurance, and he's saying, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. And so what is he saying in the last days? Well, most people believe this, is that when he's saying the last days, he is speaking of our days because he's talking about those days that are immediately preceding either, depending on what you believe, the rapture of the church or the second coming of Christ, whichever one. Those are two separate things. That's another 
another sermon, but here's the deal. It is those days right before that that he's speaking about. Now, as I wrote now, now as I read through this list, I don't want you to just listen to the list and see when I get to the next point. What I want you to do is I want you to think about this. Do you see these kind of people in our culture? Look at the list here that he says. He says, for men will be lovers of themselves. You know anyone like that? Lovers of money. You know anyone like that? Boasters. You know anyone like that? Proud. You know anyone like that? Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. You know anyone like that? Unthankful. Unholy. Unloving. Unforgiving. You know anyone like that? Slanderers. Without self-control. Brutal. Despisers of good. Traitors. Headstrong. Haughty. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now listen to me. All of that is beautiful if we're talking about the world. But the next sentence here is what drives this home, and this is where it gets really scary. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. You see, it would be one thing if we were talking about the world. It is a whole different thing when we're talking about those who are sitting in seats throughout churches throughout the land. And what the apostle was saying is that there are going to be people in these last days who are going to proclaim their devotion to Jesus, yet their lives are going to be bound by the love of pleasure. Their lives are going to be bound by the love of self rather than a love of God. Their lives are going to be bound by a love of money. Their lives are going to be bound in unforgiveness and pride. And and listen to what I'm saying. This is a problem that we see in the church today. They have appearance of godliness, but deny the power thereof you see the power of God the gospel that comes into our lives changes our hearts see here's something that I firmly believe I believe that we will never ever arrive at perfection until glorification in other words as long as we have this flesh that we're fighting we are never going to arrive at perfection but let me tell you something that I do believe in I do believe in progression toward perfection I do believe that there is a work in progress, right? We always say that. You know, we're all a work in progress. I've had people say, man, thank you for not judging me, man. I don't judge you because I'm a work in progress. If you look at my life, you may not see the potholes. You may not see the areas that are, on, that are out of alignment. You may not see that stuff. Those things exist. God is at work inside of me. But here's the deal. If you are driving down a road that is always saying men working and there's never any progress, there is a problem. Hello. Like downtown Oviedo. Hello, somebody. Right? <laughs> Glory to God. The other day you see the sign. They're like, you know, new traffic, you know, patterns. I'm like, glory to G. Like, I I just wish that someone knew how to like engineer lights. Don't you think that would be a great thing? Like if someone understood, listen, you cannot put a light on for 30 seconds when you want like 500 people to get through that light. Hello. I mean, it's just common sense. Anyway, I'm not an engineer. But nonetheless, it's my vent. But here's the thing. The thing that we understand is that if we saw them saying men at work, men at work, men at work, we would be like, yo, what what is Oviedo doing? Hello, somebody, right? Like, what is going on? It's the same thing in our lives. You can't just continue to just throw it out there. I'm a work in progress. Yes, you are. But hey, can I see some progress? Can I see some progress, glory to God? Can, can, Can I see some deliverance? Can I see some change? Can I see some transformation occurring? I'm just saying, like, let me just see some progress. Stop talking about progress. Let's see it because progress is evident. And so it becomes important for us that we are not having a form of godliness, denying the power thereof, but that we have true godliness that honors God in what? The example of what the power of God is. 
and what the power of God is in our lives. Look at this second paragraph there. A culture that is given to idolatry is a culture that is on a collision course with the God who created them to know him, love him, and serve him for their benefit to his glory. Now listen, a culture that is bound in idolatry is a culture that is on a collision course with God Almighty. And God didn't create us because he wanted to judge us. God created us so we could know him, so we could love him, and so we could serve him. And as a result, we benefit, and in the process, we glorify him. That is what God has done for us, and that is what God wants to do in and through our lives. He doesn't want us to experience his judgment, but our culture, listen, my friends, I don't care what you think. Our culture is on a collision course with the throne of grace. And it's not in a good way unless they come to repentance. They're going to stand before him in the day of judgment. And we need to recognize that that is a reality. And we cannot be part and participant with that and act like things are just okay because they are not. We must remember, last paragraph on your outline there, we must remember that the law of God is good. Remember, I said this. Paul says it all, all throughout the New Testament. He says the law is good. The problem is we're not. The law is good. We're, we're the ones that are bad. The law is a good thing. The law shows me my sin. The law shows me the error of my ways. The reality is it leads us. I talked about this in the first sermon. It leads us to Christ as our only hope as it exposes our sin. Whenever the law, as we're looking at these Ten Commandments, as we're walking through them and your sin is exposed, please understand this. God is not exposing your sin because he wants to crush you. He's exposing your sin because he wants to love you because he wants to bring you into a relationship with him. Nonetheless, the only way that you and I can have a relationship with him is if we address our sin accordingly. We cannot hold on to our sin and have our God at the same time. The old parable, you cannot have your cake and eat it too. It's the same thing. You have to let go of what? You have to let go of those things that have you bound. And so when we look at the law, God is trying to bring us into a relationship with him. The first command directs us to a monotheistic worship of God. Remember we talked about this, the singular worship, one true God. And the second commandment calls us to the application. Hear me when I say this. Each of us worships something. So the question is not, whether we worship or not, the question is, what is the object of our worship? What is the object of our worship as we're dealing with idolatry? Here's what I want you to get, the big idea for the day. Idolatry robs God of glory and us of identity. Idolatry robs God of glory and us of identity. Understand this, please. Whatever you worship defines you. Whatever you worship defines you. If you worship money, money will define you. If you worship things, those things will define you because they are where you get your identity. If you worship your family, that is what will define you. And listen, not everything we worship is a bad thing. It's just a good thing in place of God. Are you here? 
Not everything. You know, I love this. Um, Sister Sarah, she shared with me a video um, last week, and it was from John Bevere. I told you guys the first book I ever read was The Fear of the Lord by John Bevere. And he wrote, a, he wrote another book. I have yet to read the book, but it's called Good Versus God or something like that. And in this book, you know, he, he deals with the difference. But he said something that I thought was really powerful. He said the, when, when Eve was deceived in the garden, she wasn't deceived to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because the enemy pointed out the evil. He pointed out the good. She was attracted to the good on that tree. And that is what made her eat of it and inevitably bring Adam to the place where he ate. And then what? Sin enters the world. But it wasn't an offer of something that was bad. And so for us, we have to realize this, is that not every idol that you have in your life is something that's bad. It's just something that could be in the place of God. And so we need to address those things accordingly. And so idolatry robs us or robs God of glory, and it robs us of our identity. First thing I'd ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, idolatry, idolatry. is creating a God, creating a God. To, worship, to worship rather than worshiping the God who created us. Idolatry is creating a God to worship rather than worshiping the God who created us. And so let's look at verse, uh, verse 4 and the first part of verse 5. It says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. And so as we discussed last week, what did God do? God has revealed unto Israel his uniqueness and called them to himself. So what does God do all of this time? He's trying to bring them back to the worship of one true God. And so we see this in Abraham. When he calls Abram out of his family's home, Abram's family was a bunch of idolaters. He liberates him from there, says, worship me. I am the true God. And then we see them after, after the whole time from Abraham all the way to Moses. These people go. They flourish and everything. They're in this land of, of Egypt. And as they are in Egypt, they are surrounded by idolatry. They're surrounded by all kinds of gods for 400 years. And what does God do? God walks into Egypt through Moses, his prophet, and he obliterates every one of those gods before them, destroys them completely for what purpose? To let them and to let the world know I am the one true God. I am the only one that is worthy of your worship. I am the only one that is worthy of adoration. I'm the only one that is worthy of devotion. That's what he tells them. He lets them know, I am, there's no other God beside me. And the one thing that we have to grasp really clearly is that in this, there is the clear calling to worship God, but idolatry and getting away from that is the way that you apply that singular worship because you have to decide what are you going to worship. So what does idolatry do? Or when we talk about it, what does that mean? Idolatry, and listen to this, it is minimizing God to an icon, to an emblem, to an image, a deity who can be controlled instead of worshiping him in his transcendence, his otherness, in his majesty. See, what happens is when, when, when he was talking to them in those times, what he tells him, he says, listen, don't go and look at the moon and worship the moon. Don't go look at the sun and worship the sun. Don't go look at the stars and the constellations and worship those things. Don't go and look at the land and the things that I've created and worship those things. Don't make those things your God. Don't look at the sea creatures and the things that are great that I've created and worship those things. Worship me, the creator, not my creation. 
Don't allow those things. And so what happened in those days is, is, is they, and, and they continue to do this to this day in some cultures, where they make these idols. And these idols are for what? These idols are for you to pay homage to a certain God. It's for you to honor that God. And so what they believe was this, and this is what I mean about controlling the God, is that they believe that in that, in that, in that artifact, what, they, what, what happened was is that that God was not the artifact, but he dwelled in it. And so when you burn candles to it, when you burn sacrifice before it, when you served that idol, you, had, you really had control of your God. So here's the question. Who's really the God? It's not that God. It's you. Because you control that God. And what our God was saying, you don't control me. You can't manipulate me. You cannot make me do what you want to do. You obey me and you'll see my will worked out in your life. And so that is what they wanted to do. What else is idolatry? Idolatry is also worshiping anything that has been elevated to the status of a source, a savior, or a judge. It is worshiping anything that has been elevated to the status of a source, a source of life, a source of joy, a source of peace. Anything that has been elevated to the source of savior. We have these functional saviors in our lives. It can be work. It can be ministry. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that can be functional saviors, money alcohol, sex, all of these things become functional saviors in our lives. And we begin to devote ourselves. We devote our time. How do we know? The, listen, in our days, listen now, most of us, we're not like, you know, we went on this mission trip. We went to Mexico as youth pastors and we went there on the mission trip and we saw, you know, the Aztecs and the Mayan Indians and all of their different artifacts of idolatrous worship. None of us today, at least I would hope not, in this place have idols around, do you? I'm not, you don't have to answer the question. But the reality is most of you don't as far as you don't have something that's a graven image. But some of us bow down to things. We bow down to stuff. We bow down to people. We bow down to situations. We bow down to all. There's idols all around us. Tim Keller, he said this. He said that our hearts are idol-making factories. This is what our hearts do. We see stuff that God created for us to enjoy, and instead of enjoying it, we start to love it. That's why it's so terrible when we say, I love this. Be careful with that word. That word should be utilized for things that you really should love. There are things. Listen, the problem with us in many scenarios is that we use people instead of things. These things are supposed to be for our enjoyment and our pleasure, not for us to worship them. And so we have to come to this place that we look at, wait a second, what, what, what are the functional saviors in my life? What are the judges in my life? Because, you know, sometimes we're looking for someone to justify us. We're looking for someone else's approval. We don't care what anybody else says. As long as we have their approval, we're good to go. Listen, we have to check ourselves. And so check this out. I have a few questions for you. Because here's the thing. Idolatry, it gives us a false sense of security. It gives us a, a functional savior. It gives us the ease of our conscience apart from repentance and faith in God. And so how do we know like where these idols are in our lives? How, how can we check this out? Well, I have a few questions for you. And I just want you to say this with me. Say potential. I'm not saying that, that the answer to these questions are going to be idols. What I'm saying is that when you answer these questions, you don't have to answer them right now, but when you answer these questions, if you have an answer there, there is a potential that this thing could become a, an idol in your life. And so now what I want to say is that if the answer to all of these blanks is the same thing, you definitely have an idol, no question. All right? But look at these questions that I wrote down there in your outline. If you don't have an outline, I'm so sorry. But this is what, the first one is this, I am preoccupied with blank. If only blank, then I would be happy. I get my sense of, of significance from blank. I would protect and preserve blank at any cost. 
I fear losing blank. The thing that gives me the greatest pleasure is blank. When I lose blank, I get angry, resentful, frustrated, anxious, or depressed. For me, life depends on blank. The thing that makes me want to get out of bed in the morning is blank. See, those are questions that we can ask to say, man, what are the potential idols in my life? What are the potential things that could take first place in my life? The second thing I want you to repeat after me is this. Say, idolatry Idolatry. will have have generational impact. Idolatry will have generational impact. And so what does God do? Let's look at the rest of verse 5. He says, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. And he goes on to say, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. And so the first thing, and I need you to really, really grasp and and tune in right now, because Oprah Winfrey left the church because she sat down and she heard a preacher preach that God was jealous. And I don't want anybody in here to leave this church because God is jealous. And I don't want anybody to leave Jesus because God is jealous. I don't want anybody to walk away. What I need you to understand is this, is that there is a difference between, between being jealous of someone, which is what Oprah thought, and being jealous for someone, which is what God is. See, there is a huge difference between the two. You see, she was thinking that, oh, the reason why God doesn't want you to have other gods is because, well, you know, he's jealous of these other gods. Listen to me. God's not jealous of, of anything. There's nothing to be jealous of. Those are false gods. Why would I be jealous? It's like me being jealous of a poster of The Rock. Hello. It's a poster. Now, if The Rock is standing here, different story, but, Right? It's a poster. I don't need to be jealous of a poster. I don't, need to be je- I don't need to be jealous of something that is not real. And so there is no competition. God is not in heaven like, oh my goodness, if you worship this God, you might be more satisfied. God knows that if you worship something false, you may be falsely satisfied, temporarily satisfied, but you will never experience what he has for you. There is no competition in, 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 with, with God, with any of these other gods. And God is not jealous of you. Hello, somebody. He's, not je- he's jealous for you. He's concerned for you. He wants you to experience his will, his purpose. And what he knows is that if you turn to other gods, if you have other idols apart from Jesus, and he's not an idol, but if you worship anything else outside of God, then guess what? You are never going to experience what God wills, but you're going to experience these other things. See, this generational stuff. Look what he says. He says, I am a jealous God. And when you think about this, he talks about him being a jealous God. When we look at jealousy, the word jealous, And what happens to us is that we start to think in terms of humanity, right? We start thinking in terms because when we're jealous, typically it's born out of insecurity. Not so with God. God's jealousy is born out of his love. That word jealousy there can also also be translated zealous. He's passionate. When you think of God, you should think of him as a passionate provider, a passionate protector, one who loves you. That's what we talk about when we talk about jealousy. This is, how, this is how jealous God is for you and for me. He sent his son to die. 
So that way you and I could be liberated from all idolatry, so we could be liberated from all of the power of sin, so we could have a relationship with God. That's what God's jealousy moved him to do. Not to be abusive, controlling, and dominating, but to demonstrate love. That is the kind of love that God has. I love this thought. And the one thing that we need to always remember is that because of God's jealousy, if you are a child of God, you need to know that you are deeply loved by him. You are a deeply loved son. You are a deeply loved daughter because God is jealous. That is what he says. You are loved by him. It says what in the, in the next part of that verse? It says, for I'm a jealous God. And he, and he goes on visiting, look at this, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And so listen, if you are an idolater, if you are one that is worshiping other things, I need you to understand this. You are declaring your hatred for God. When you worship something else, you are declaring you hate him. That's how he takes it. That's what he says because he's nothing but good. He's nothing but gracious. He's nothing but loving. And you say, I want to worship something else. I want to worship something other than God. And then he says that he's going to visit the, the transgression. And, and, and what I want you to know, you need to write this verse down because it's very important. Deuteronomy 24 and verse 16. It shows that God is never going to condemn children because a father sins. And so my son is not going to pay for my sins. But here's what I can tell you. My son can feel the effects of my sins. My sins. My grandchildren can feel the effects of my sins. My great-great-grandchildren can feel the effects of my sin. Because if I am a worshiper of false gods, if I am an idolater, then guess what? That passes on to the next generation. Because you know what typically happens? Your children, they're going to do what they see you doing. Listen, as I was growing up, my grandfather, I love my grandfather dearly. He passed away a long time ago. But you know what? The one thing that I can tell you in, in all sincerity before he gave his life to Jesus, he used to say this to me. He'd say, do as I say, not as I do. And I want you to know that worked for a little while because I really detested a lot of the things that, that, you know, that, that, that he was doing and stuff like that. But you know what happened? There came a certain age. I wanted to try those things. And then you know what happened? I kind of liked those things. Hello. And I started to do those things. And thank God he liberated me from those things. And, the, and, and, and my prayer and my hope is that my son and my daughter and their children and their children will be able to come back to a guy, this grandfather, great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, Jason Quinones, who came to Jesus. The curse was broken. And now God can do what he wants to do. He can show mercy to thousands. Notice he says up into the third and fourth generation, but showing mercy unto thousands. So what do you think God wants to do? He wants to extend mercy more than he wants to bring judgment. Hello. That is what God wants to do. And so the reality is he calls us out of idolatry because he does not want us to be bound in those types of things. He wants us to experience what? He wants us to experience his fullness. And look what he goes on to say in verse 6. He says, but showing mercy to thousands. Now look. To those who love me and keep my commandments. Those who love me. And keep my commandments. Look, what did Jesus say? You say you love me, keep my commandments. You love me? Oh, don't, 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 don't give me lip service. Obey me. Don't tell me you love me. Come on now, y'all parents up in here, your kids say I'm sorry 900 times. What do you say? Man, stop saying sorry and start doing right. Hello. Listen, we got that from God the Father. Hello, somebody. 
We may not say it the same way. What he says is, you say you love me, obey me. You say you love me, show me you love me. Don't just talk about your love for me. Show me your love for me. Third thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say idolatry Idolatry. is still forbidden. Idolatry is still forbidden. Why does this matter? Turn your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 17 as you're turning there. The reason why this matters is because I told you when we're dealing with the Ten Commandments, it's important that we walk every commandment through the cross. Every commandment in the Old Testament. Listen, whenever you're reading the Old Testament, if you want to see if a promise applies to you, look and see if there was an apostle. If there's a writing in the New Testament that repeats that promise, if it's not repeated, it doesn't apply to you. Hello? The same thing for the commandments of God. If it is not repeated and affirmed in the New Testament, then it does not apply to you. And so let's look at what the Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 17. We're going to begin reading in verse 22. When you got it, say so. And it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of uh, of the Areopagus or the Areopagus, whatever you want, however you want to pronounce that, and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. Say religious. And so another translation, it says spiritual. And so what this sounds like to me is it sounds like our culture. Everybody, most people, if they're not atheists, right, if they're not proclaimed atheists, they want to be spiritual, right? They, they may not believe in the Bible, but they want to be spiritual. They may not believe they need Jesus, but they want to be spiritual. They want to have some kind of religion. And so you know what? Paul is like, he's saying this to them, and I say the same thing. Our culture is no different. And what does Paul do? He recognizes this and he says, I see that you all are spiritual. He goes on to say this, for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, objects of your worship are the idols of your worship. The city was filled with idols. And Paul is walking through the city, and as he's walking through the city, he sees all of these objects of worship. And then he goes on and he says, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. This is how spiritual these people were. They wanted to make sure they didn't miss any bases. And so they knew the God of the sun. They knew the God of the moon. They knew the God of the stars. They knew the God of the ocean. They knew the God of the river. They knew all these gods. And they were like, man, and they were burning sacrifices and incense and all of this to all these other gods. And yet they were like, man, we may have missed one. And just in case, just in case. We want to make sure that we give homage to this one. And what does Paul go on to say? He says, therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, which sounds crazy, him I proclaim to you. The one whom you worship without knowing. You see, God has placed something inside of all of us, and it is this thing to worship. And there is, and, and there is something that we want to know the divine. We want to know. And so these people, Paul, is introducing them to him. And look what he says. He says, God, verse 24, he said, God who made the world and everything in it, Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all men breath and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. For any races that you may know, give him this scripture right here, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us for in him we live and move and have our being as also some of your own poets have said for we also are for we are also his offspring now look at this now I want you to realize although we are offspring of God it does not mean that we are walking with him are you here 
Although we all have life because God has given it to us, it does not mean that we are okay with God. That is not what makes you okay with God. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 28, or verse 29. He says, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone. Those are idols. Something shaped by art and man's devising. Look at verse 30. Truly. These times of ignorance, God overlooked. God was merciful, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. See, up until this point, the children of Israel, they were not responsible for going out and making disciples. They were not. Up until this point, the children of Israel, they were responsible for what? Erecting and worshiping altar or worshiping the one true God. That was all they were responsible for. And now the Apostle Paul, who is a Jew, who is one who was part of that system, he does what? He is now proclaiming, look, everyone, every person on planet earth, God calls out of idolatry into true worship. Every person who is out there who worships whatever, who is part of false religions, who has false beliefs, God says, you have to come out of those things or else you and I would have problems. Hello. It is either or, either you submit to me and respond to my grace and accept my call to turn from your sin unto me or you're going to experience my judgments. This is what the Apostle Paul is telling these people here and letting them know about that. And the Apostle makes it clear God is calling all men to repentance. Church, we are the voice. We are the voice in the culture. It's Listen, God's standards are for all of his creation, not just Christians. Are you here? And the same way that I cannot force God's standards upon you, I can hold you accountable for them because you call yourself a Christian. But the same way that I cannot make you do anything is the same way you cannot make anyone do anything. But you surely need to proclaim what God's standards are. You surely need to let them know because if they do not repent and turn, they will encounter a God that is not going to be all lovey-dovey, come on in because you're cute. No. Oh, I just love everyone. Listen, God loves everyone, but he died and rose and gives everyone an opportunity to repent. He's not just going to accept everyone in. We don't believe in universalism. Hello. We believe in a universal love. We believe in a universal call, but we do not believe in a universal salvation. Everyone has to turn from their sin if they're going to experience the grace and the goodness of God. We, church, listen to me now. We must be willing to confront the idols of our culture, but we first must confront the idols of our own hearts. Amen. And I'm not saying, oh, well, if you, until you deal with the idols in your heart, you can't confront the culture. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you shouldn't be a hypocrite going out there and addressing the idols of the culture, but never dealing with the idols of your own heart. The things that have you bound, the things that you worship, the things that you give more glory to than God himself. See, the enemy, he wants to do what? The enemy and, and demonic forces, they want to steal glory from God and ultimately rob us of our identity. Listen, that is what the enemy wants to do. These other scriptures that are written out there that you see there in your outline, Romans chapter 1, verse 22 to 23, it talks about us changing the glory of God and worshiping the, cre the, crea the creation rather than the creator God. That's what men did, and it led them from that place of idolatry to the place of immorality to where they began to do things that were ungodly. And it all started with what? It started with rejecting the revelation of God, which moved to worshiping other things rather than God. Are you here? 
1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7, it tells us what? In dealing with idolatry, it says that an idol is nothing. The demon behind it is what matters. What you have to understand here is this, is that when we are dealing with idolatry, listen, let's just say that you worship your husband. Your husband is not a demon. Hello, somebody. But there, he could be. But anyway, I'm just I'm totally joking. Husbands are not demons. Amen. But here's the thing, right? <laughs> My brothers, forgive me for even saying that. It's our wives. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's our wives. Listen, let's say your wife is your idol. She's not a demon. Hello, right? Some husband was like, well, sometimes. But listen, here's the thing. The person is not the idol. Your job, you may worship work. Work is not the, is not the, 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 the demon, right? You, you may worship money. Money is not the demon. It is the spirit behind that that is trying to make you worship that thing. That is the concern. And so what does the Bible tell us and how do we deal with this? You see, here's the thing. Idols do what? They make you strive after an identity. So if your spouse is your idol, then you know what you have to do? You have to appease your spouse. You have to please your spouse in every single thing to get their approval to feel whole. If your kids are your, if your, kids are your idol, amen, hallelujah. If your kids are not acting right and doing right, if your kids are older and they're not serving the Lord and doing the things, oh my goodness, I mean, your, your idol is crushed. You feel like less than something. Can I tell you something? Jesus died to give you and I an identity that never shakes. Now listen, if you lose your job tomorrow, if you have no money tomorrow, guess what? You still matter. If your kids are acting a fool and not serving God, you're still loved by God. Listen, you, mean, you, you, may, you may need to learn how to parent a little bit better, but here's the deal. You're still loved by God. Listen, this is, this is a reality. Idols make us strive after what Jesus purchased for us. And so what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. It tells us to flee from idolatry. Now understand this. When you look at the word flee, fleeing doesn't mean put an idol over there and sit over there. Fleeing means fleeing. It means to run from. It means to get rid of. It means not to play with it. Get away from it. And then 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, it tells us what? It tells us when John ends that epistle, he tells his, his, his hearers, he tells them, um, little children, guard yourself from idolatry or keep yourself from idolatry. And so what is the biblical way to deal with idols? First of all, you have to identify them. You have to acknowledge them. You have to recognize that you have these idols. And the second thing is you flee from them. And the third thing is you guard against them always. You see, when you look at the potential idols in your life, you have to guard against those things becoming idols in your life. You have to guard against that. And so this is what, this is what has to happen. This is what I know, is that the only way that you are going to be able to deal with idolatry in a biblical way is by keeping God above everything. And the only way that that's possible is by making God the center of everything. The only way God is going to be above everything in your life is when God is the center of everything in your life. And listen, that means that some things, they got to take some serious changes. That means some things need to be addressed because God's not first, because he's not even third on the list of some things. He's not even in your mind in some of your behavior and some of your attitudes and some of your actions. And so there, there, there's, a, there's a picture that I asked the, the, the team to show. And, and when we're dealing with this demonic forces and these things, I want you to think about this. Uh, drugs, liquor, lust, pride, rebellion. You can't defeat the demons you enjoy playing with. 
You see, the issue with many of us is that we like to play with these demons. We like to play with these idols. We We enjoy their company because they give us some sense of satisfaction, some sense of self worth. But listen, you gotta get rid of that. And so the question is, as I'm closing, the question is, what is it? What, what, what are the idols that you're bowing to and serving? What are the idols that you're bowing to and serving? And so we're going to do something a little bit different this, this, this afternoon now. But we're going to listen to a song. And as you sit there, you've heard the word preached. But as you sit in your seat, I want you to think for a moment. I heard this song about a, a year or something ago. I was talking about idolatry, and someone introduced me to the song. And then last week after I preached, I guess, you know, they felt like it was good. And I believe it was the Holy Spirit who led me, led them to share the song with me. And as I heard it, it was a song. I want you to sit there. And I just want you to think. I want you to let the Holy Spirit search your heart. I want you to let him search your heart. And I want you to really allow him to show you where are the idols in your heart. And, and, and let God deal with those idols, and then I'll wrap us up in prayer. Clear the stage and set the sound and lights ablaze. If that's the measure you must take to cross the idols. Jerk the pews and all the decorations too. Until the congregation's fueling half revival. Tell your friends that this is where the party ends Until you're broken for your sins You can't be social And seek the Lord and wait for what He has in store And know that great is your reward So just be hopeful Cause you can sing all you want to Yes, you can Sing all you want to You can sing all you want to Still get it wrong Oh, worship is more than a song Break from all the plans that you have made And sit at home alone and wait for God to whisper I beg him please to open up his mouth and speak And pray for real upon your knees until they blister Shine the light on every corner of your life Until the pride and lust and lies are in the open Then read the word and put to test the things you've heard Until your heart and soul are stirred and rocked and broken Cause you can sing all you want to Yes you can sing all you want to Worship is more than a song We must not worship something that's not even worth it You clear the stage, make some space for the one who deserves it
my God is an idol And anything I want with all my heart is an idol And anything I can't stop thinking of is an idol And I know Cause I can sing all I want to Yes I can Sing all I want to struggle with idols in our life, and I don't know what idols they are that you struggle with, but I know this, God's grace is big enough, and God's grace is sufficient, and for that reason, Jesus died to crush the idols that are crushing you, to destroy those idols that are holding you back from him, and so this morning, I just ask you to bow your heads and bow your heart before the Lord, and whatever idols that you're struggling with, call upon him today. As I pray, call upon him today, and ask him to liberate you. Repent of those idols. Confess those idols to him. If you're in this place and you haven't made a commitment to Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Call upon him today. Cry out to him. Ask him, God, forgive me. God, fill me with your spirit. God, save me today. Father God, today we come to you and we acknowledge, God, that we are fallen We acknowledge that we have idols in our hearts, some that we would never want anyone to know about, but God, you know about them. We can't run from you. We can't hide from you. And so today, we call upon you for your great grace. We call upon you for your great mercy. We call upon you today, and we pray, Father in heaven, that you would crush the idols that are crushing us. That you would crush the idols, Lord God, that, that, are, that are competing with you. The idols that don't give life but take life, God. Liberate us from worshiping and bowing to those things that don't deserve your glory. Forgive us, God, for taking good things and making them God in our lives. Forgive us for the idols of our families. Forgive us for the idols of work. Forgive us of the idols of money. Forgive us for the idols of comfort. Forgive us for the idols, Lord God, that we have in our lives that do not belong in your place. Today, fill us afresh with an awe of who you are, with a trust that you are God. And may we walk and the power of the freedom that you afford us, never bowing to anything else except you, almighty God. 
We thank you for this, and we pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Can you give God a hand of praise? And as you do that, I just want to say this. If you are here today and you made a commitment to Jesus, we have some communication cards. There's some under the seats seats there and the trays there.